This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today. Good afternoon, folks. It's your friend Dennis Connor coming to you again with courtesy of the Specialty Produce Podcast. The Harrington Brothers uh, putting on the show with my producer and good friend Roger Harrington uh, doing all the work. I'm going to just give you a few uh, interesting tidbits that I hope you'll enjoy. Nothing earth-shattering today. But the uh, first thing I want to talk about is uh, technology and how it's uh, changed um, my perception and, in fact, the reality of, of uh, what's going on in the sport. We've seen the uh, technology come through with the, with the foils and uh, all that's gone on in the America's Cup boats. But uh, a month ago in the Ensenada race, I decided to uh, take my lovely uh, Sparkman Stevens lookalike uh, Splendor, built by Jerry Driscoll, keep it at the San Diego Yacht Club, She's just a piece of work, lovely, lovely, lovely boat. I decided to take it in the Ensenada race with uh, some of my uh, friends. So uh, a couple of special people that came were this, uh, Peter Burton from Australia and uh, Steve Jarvin, uh, Mathi Jarvin uh, from, from Sydney, who has been a key part of my life and crew, won two Etchell's Worlds with him. And, uh, of course, uh, he, he is... Uh, told me that he's done 30 Sydney Hobart races, including he was on Wild Oats in the uh, in the last race. So why this is germane to the uh, story that I'm going to tell you about is that uh, the, the uh, race at the Ensenada was a very good race, good conditions for my uh, 49-foot sloop. And the uh, one uh, boat that we had to beat was uh, Bill Canfield with his family boat as well, 58-footer that uh, rated the same. So these two boats go well on a reach, and we were uh, doing well w- with the fleet. As the uh, race progressed, it started just a straight shot. Sometimes you have to tack out of Ensenada, but this was this uh, was special. We just uh, put our sails up and started heading down the course, course of about 135, 140, 145, 150. And... Uh, of course, uh, we tried to beat Bill at the start, but he's an excellent sailor, not easy to get ahead of, and we had, we had a close start, and but he, he started inching ahead. But as things uh, settled out, you know, it's range and bearing down the course, we uh, thought we were doing okay. But then um, uh, my friend Steve Jarman said, well, let's just turn on the tracker and see for sure how we're doing instead of uh, being 100 years out of date. So they had the yellow brick road tracker on all of the boats. So all we had to do was uh, figure out how to uh, use it with our cell phones. And it gave us the uh, position that we were in the race and and uh, ahead and behind. So this went on um, all afternoon. We Once we learned how to use it, it was fascinating. It was hard to put down. So as, 
as we w- went along, uh, the race was very close between ourselves and uh, uh, and Bill, Bill Hardesty, and uh, sometimes he would gain and sometimes we would would gain. But basically, we were leading the fleet down the uh, racetrack with the uh, Piwacken and the normal big boats also in contention. But the Germain uh, part of the story is that when we got past the Coronado Islands. When start going to the right, making it uh, more opportunity to jive and head into Ensenada. And uh, what happened there that was key is that our tracker quit working. So we, we had the tracker as long as we had cell phone. But when we got out of range, we didn't have the technology from the satellite to keep our tracker working. So we weren't really sure what was going on over there with Bill uh, and uh, when they were driving, it was dark. We couldn't see them anymore. So we were kind of back to the old days and uh, uh, trying to decide when to jive for Ensenada. To make a long story short, we jived and uh, we were able to uh, make the power plant going into Ensenada Harbor. But we had to kind of soak a little bit low uh, from time to time. We weren't at our optimum angle the whole time. And Bill did a, a better job, went a little further, almost down to Todos Island, Island jived. And came in at a hot angle and uh, beat us by quite a bit after what was, it should have been a close race, and we ended up second in class and fourth overall. Good performance, but not what we were hoping for. And I think that if we had had that tracker working properly and had more confidence that how accurate it was, we could have uh, done well. So, uh, so now what happens next? Well, we come home and I start watching. You know, I'm addicted to the sailboat racing. So I start watching the uh, Volvo Around the World race, and they have a similar tracking, only even more sophisticated, going on in the Volvo race. So you can turn on uh, the Volvo uh, Ocean Race 2018 and push uh, the tracker, and you can see what's going on virtually, uh, well, certainly every minute or so, you can see the lead uh, change in, in the race, and you can see what's... The uh, wind uh, forecast is, and what it is presently as well. So can you imagine that you can be uh, in a 3,300-mile race, and you haven't seen the other boat for days, but you know exactly how what angle they're sailing and uh, what speed they're going and how much wind they have? It certainly takes the drama out of where, where you are and uh, how you're doing and where you should be because you can see it right there on the, on the screen. So I was watching the end of the uh, leg eight from Brazil to Newport, and it was a very uh, interesting leg because the tracker kept me up to date. There were a lot of lead changes. And then coming up to the uh, finish in, in Newport uh, two weeks ago, uh, the Dongfeng uh, group was leading. They had a couple-mile uh, lead, and uh, they were coming along the, sh- uh, the shore up, up by uh, – Bailey's Beach Club going along the shore. It was about, oh, 11 o'clock at night. And uh, they were all set just to head right around uh, the Brenton Reef and right to Castle Hill and to the finish off Fort Adams to what would have been a very raucous and exciting finish. But um, all of a sudden, at about 11.30 at night, I noticed that the uh, wind was went down and uh, the Dung Fung uh, boat, was getting kind of 
washed out away from the shore, away, away from the beach, from Bailey's Beach, and all the other boats were catching up. They could see, too, that they were having trouble there, so they they avoided it. They avoided this area. And what really happened was that the tide changed at 11.30 that night, and they uh, didn't have the local knowledge, or they goofed up by uh, staying too close to the shore. The, the tide changes close to shore first, and they they were in there in that tidal change, and when they hit that, the wind changed. Uh, they didn't have the apparent wind anymore. They had wind apparent wind against them, and the other uh, boats all caught up very, very quickly. So um, imagine what was uh, sometimes a 20-mile lead. It just sitting there, you're so frustrating. I was thinking, well, why don't they anchor? Then I realized, well, boy, it's deep out there. And maybe they don't have that kind of uh, chain and scope to, to uh, anchor. Anyway, I was wondering what I would have been doing. And uh, it, w- it was very frustrating to, uh, for, for I'm sure those folks to see the uh, uh, Brunel and uh, Mapfre people, you know, their closest ca- competition come right up and uh, sail by. And so to make a long story shorter, of course, they yeah, they battled that outgoing current, which any of you that have been in Newport knows that the current off Castle Hill can be quite fierce and very difficult to get out of because if you get out of the current, you're going to take a chance of hitting a rock. And, and to add insult to injury, it was quite foggy. So some of the local uh, knowledge folks, like Nick Dana, who know know it quite well, they they would have known where to go. But if you can't see, it's still very disconcerting to be sailing along in what you know is a dangerous, rocky area trying to stay out of the tide. So as the race uh, continued inch by inch uh, past Castle Hill, along the uh, shore there where Diane— Jackie Kennedy grew up at the Auchincloss man, uh, Mansion. They're inching along, and it's uh, very quite quite foggy. I, I spoke to Ch- Commodore Charlie Dana, who was on his boat. His son was in the race and sitting off Fort Adams. He said, we can't see our hand in front of our face. But the uh, with the help of uh, modern technology, we're watching the race live. I don't know how they did it. With must have had a camera on a uh, spectator boat. We're watching the, the race. We can't see the boats, but we can see the top of the mast moving along and uh, come to the finish line of just a very, very dramatic uh, finish with Mapri coming from behind and beating the Dongfen boat by a, a minute and 12 seconds, which was basically overlap because the boats were going uh, so, so slow. But without the uh, tr- tracker, who would have cared? It wouldn't have been there the race wouldn't have been nearly as interesting. So chalk that one up to the Yellow Brick Road Tracker. Uh, very, uh, very, very nice uh, uh, thing for the people who are curious about the race to watch. So last Sunday, the race from Newport to uh, uh, Cardiff uh, in, New- in Wales, in England, started uh, in normal uh, Newport day, foggy in the morning, the sun uh, breaking through much like it does in San Diego uh, about 2 o'clock for the start of the race. They had a very uh, good uh, little uh, race around the buoys down under the bridge and then off into the Atlantic. And again, once they got out there, you couldn't see anything on the uh, TV anymore, so you had to rely on the tracker. Uh, 
And so I was very uh, watching very, very care- carefully as I saw the uh, Mapfree get uh, passed by the Dongfen on the way out uh, uh, past the Brenton Reef and off into the Atlantic. Then the next thing that I thought was quite interesting was is that the fleet was just kind of going along at uh, 20 knots, uh, uh, sailing their optimum wind angle. And in the middle of the night, the uh, Mapfree uh, folks jibed after what would have normally been a watch change. When we used to be racing without this technology, it was not uncommon to uh, have a uh, wait for the re- position report or for what you knew would be a watch change and then jibe and go the other way if you wanted to uh, lose the other boat. But uh, so map-free jives, it wasn't like 20 minutes later, they couldn't have seen each other because it was so darn foggy. There there goes the uh, uh, dog fin and uh, the jive and go the same way. Well, the rest of the fleet, Brunel with uh, Bauer Beacon, uh, a very experienced guy. I, I did the Volvo race with him myself uh, on board. Very experienced guy. He he's sailing the uh, Brunel, Dame Brunel, and they're in the fight as well. They're about six points behind in a double point race. So if they can uh, get three boats between themselves and the uh, two leaders, the Maffrey and the Dogfin, uh, they can be right in the lead with two races to go for the overall prize of the Volvo. So when the other two boats jived, uh, Horace Brunel kept going. And they kept going and then going and going and going and going. And after a, a full day of separation, one going a course of about 60 degrees and the other boats going a course of about 120, 60 degrees different. You can imagine how far apart they got. So two days ago, they were 300 miles away. Imagine an ocean race that, uh, where the uh, two main uh, combatants are 300 miles away. Well, gosh, very, very weather-dependent. So how would a weatherman ever know what was going on except for, again, the technology of the tracker shows the uh, all the highs and lows that you're sailing towards. It shows that you can move your cursor around on the tracker and see the various wind directions and velocities. It, it certainly uh, uh, makes the navigator uh, – uh, the point of interest and the people watching the nav station, well, where are we going? Why are we going here? Why are they over there? How did they gain 60 miles last night? You, you, how did you goof up? Well, they wouldn't have known all that without the tracker. So to me, this uh, whole tracker business is going to change any kind of uh, racing that's uh, overnight or uh, long, uh, uh, longer race like the Hawaii race. It, sometimes you don't have to report it only once a day, so you don't know what the other guys are doing for 24 hours. And uh, that's a navigator's race. You go, how far do you go north? And uh, wh- what's the weather up there? And when does that uh, easterly breeze come in so you can jive and make your final approach into the uh, Hawaiian Islands? Well, now, if they allow this kind of tracking going on in the uh, Honolulu race, we're going to... Uh, see a whole, a whole different uh, uh, group of navigators using this uh, technology as well. So th- th- this is uh, a game changer to me. It's a little bit like racing the America's Cup where we used to just uh, have the t- uh, starting times and we had to use our own judgment. How far are we from the line and how much time do we have to go? And now you just ping both ends of the line with the technology of 
of the uh, of the satellite, and you know exactly how far you are from the line. All you have to, if you can read a computer screen, you know if there's a minute and twelve seconds to go, and you're a, a minute away, you have to burn off twelve seconds. Well, the, anybody really could uh, sort that out, and that's the way it's going to be. I think here more and more, it's going to take a lot of the drama and the skill of the sailing of the seat of the pants, and uh, put it away in your back pocket because you're going to have more and more technology with the with the uh, satellite helping you decide uh, where to go. And then the 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 next thing that I think uh, about the technology is what's going on. We saw the uh, America's Cup boat sailing in foiling catamarans, but now uh, Roger has uh, shown me a picture earlier today of uh, a boat uh, sailing in Lake Geneva on a, a monohull sailing on on a foil. Can you imagine a, uh, with a, with the appendage sticking out there and uh, uh, probably going three times the speed it would normally go without the without the uh, foils. So this is what's coming in a kind of a pre-America's uh, Cup type idea where they're going to be sailing 70-foot sloops with uh, uh, basically pontoons with foils attached to it. So the boat you know, could be 30 feet uh, wider than normal with these uh, foils sticking out. Gosh, what happens when you come together and you harden your head up to try to dial the other boat up? What, what happens if those things get entangled? So... A lot of us old-fashioned guys are all wondering how this is uh, really uh, how this is really going to work here with the, uh, uh, the the foiling. But the technology in the uh, spars is there as well, designing wing uh, spars that to where you don't have to take the wing out every night to to uh, d- uh, tie your boat up. So uh, really, technology. Uh, I haven't always been a fan of it because. As an old timer uh, sailing the uh, uh, seat of the pants type racing, uh, yeah, kind of a little disappointed to make it see it being uh, made easier and easier and easier. And now you have the race committee boat calling out the time to the start five, four, three, two, one on the radio. I mean, you don't even need a stopwatch anymore. It's it's, it's crazy. So. Anyway, crazy, but that's the way it is. We're not driving uh, covered wagons across the country anymore. We're we're uh, using airplanes, so uh, things are going to change. You've got to get used to it and learn how to use it, take advantage of it, and uh, make it work for your your benefit if you're going to be successful uh, um, out there on the on the course. So that's it for the technology uh, for now. As far as a few other uh, things of uh, points of interest, we saw. Uh, uh, Tyler Canfield win the Congressional Cup. Very, very uh, sharp, uh, good uh, match racing specialist from from the um, U.S. uh, Virgin Islands. Uh, Very talented, and he, of course, would love to have his. You know, everybody wants their own America's Cup record uh, uh, racing team. They, everybody thinks, oh, I can beat uh, James Spithill or Dennis Connor or Russell Coots. Uh, just give me the boat. So uh, Tyler announced or uh, alluded to the fact that he was going to have an America's Cup effort, another, I guess it would be a U.S. effort because U.S. Virgin Islands, to uh, compete against the New York Yacht Club and uh, what will be a very, very strong uh, 
effort by Terry McLaughlin. So we, we saw Ta- uh, uh, Taylor announce that he was going to be in the America's Cup. And, uh, of course, one small little detail is they are still looking for some of the $200 million necessary to compete. So uh, talk is cheap. We'll have to wait and uh, uh, see how Canfield uh, comes up with the rest of the money. But in the meantime, we had an announcement uh, earlier this week that there's a second uh, Italian America's Cup effort being formed. It's going to be raced there at the Coastal Sermala, and uh, it's going to be a Sardinia-based uh, boat. Uh, they're talking about building the boat in Obia over on the mainland where that uh, uh, cruise ship ran aground. A very, uh, uh, very interested uh, group of sailors there from that area of, of Italy. And uh, so if there's uh, two America's Cup efforts, there are going to be a lot of uh, happy uh, Italian sailors because they'll be uh, fully employed. The new America's Cup uh, program said that they were going to have 170 members on their team with a $100 million-plus budget. It's, uh, it's not up there with uh, Ben Amesley with a $200 million budget, but it should be enough to, uh, it should be enough to uh, have a, a good campaign if the money really is there. No sponsors yet. So there, anytime there's no sponsors, you wonder, well, are private individuals really uh, going to step up to this kind of uh, effort on their own? Well, uh, Time, time will see, but uh, it's certainly going to be good for the yachting business for uh, the unemployed uh, uh, designers at this point that would uh, li- like to uh, be involved in some fashion. And uh, I think it would be a much more interesting event. And if we have uh, a couple more challengers right now, we have the the three uh, strong with the. Uh, England, Italy, and the U.S. But to, we could use a couple more to make the Louis Vuitton series a bit more interesting. And uh, so I'm I'm happy to see uh, the event uh, getting us some new legs. I think there are a lot of uh, traditionalists that thought, well, this is not going to work out so well, having uh, foiling sloops uh, 75 feet long and 50 feet wide. But uh, I, I have an open mind. I'm hoping that it, in the Rocky Gulf that uh, they can handle the. You know, it's not just all smooth water down there in New Zealand. It can be rough down there. Believe me, it can be rough. Having sailed the Etchells there in the America's Cup, it, it, uh, we saw the uh, New Zealanders uh, almost sink uh, in one of their defense races. So it can be rough. It's going to be interesting to see how these new boats uh, really handle it the uh, tougher conditions. So more America's Cup uh, entrance. Uh, the, the time limit is coming up uh, shortly for entering. They'd probably let them in anyway, even if the time uh, limit was uh, expired, because they, they, need, uh, they need the money. Uh, they're in Auckland. They're spending $100 million building up a new America's Cup uh, area, and they need the people there to show up and start spending the money with their crews and then uh, their, their backers will come for the event in 2021. So that, that's about it for now, folks. Watch that Volvo tracker. You've got uh, five, six days more to go, and uh, the boats will start coming together. They won't be 300 miles apart. 
for too long because the, 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 the boats in the south are sailing 25 degrees higher than the boats in the north, and they're, they're headed for the uh, exclusion zone where the ice is, which is the Great Circle route. And um, it's going to be an exciting race, to, especially if uh, Brunel can uh, beat the Dongfen and the uh, Kazi Noel and uh, uh, Mapfree with a double points race. I mean, it could be all tied, three, four boats um, in going into the last uh, couple of races, inshore races there in the Netherlands and, and in England. So thanks for listening today. Hope you enjoyed um, me rambling on a little bit about uh, technology. I don't know too much about it. Wish I knew more, but I'm going to look into getting a, a device that can uh, help me with the tracker if uh, more and more races get it. I'm going to get uh, the tracker that I can use when I'm outside of the of the telephone uh, uh, service, get one from the satellite. It can't be very expensive, especially the, with the cost of the all that we put into the boats now with, with the, the, the sails and the spars. It would be an investment well made, so... Uh, put me on the uh, marketing de- team of, uh, of the tracker, and I'll uh, tell everybody how much I've enjoyed it. Okay, that's it for now, folks. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll try to find something interesting to talk to you about uh, in the near future. Bye for Roger and Dennis. Thank you very much.